0: When I went into the jockey's changing room, I, I, I don't mean this in an argument, I looked around and thinking, I want to be better than everyone in here. Yeah. And I and, and even though if you're at Crystal Palace a footballer, you should walk in there thinking, I want everyone to think that I'm the best one out there. I broke my back on the 12th of January. I got operated on the 15th of January. I, I rode it on a Friday before Cheltenham, which was about the 10th of March. So in just under eight weeks, I went to two neurosurgeons in London about six weeks later and they looked at me like, they if say, what are you doing here? The day I held up the trophy in Sandown, put it down Sunday morning, it was gone. Yeah, it was like someone else's. Yeah. Someone else's completely gone. So I, I really I, I really only ever felt that I got three or four weeks of enjoyment out of being champion jockey.
1: This is up front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm gonna get people with strong views, strong opinions and get them to stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way, but more importantly, So, might you. Joining me in today's episode is the greatest jockey ever produced and one of the most iconic, recognizable names in not only horse racing, but across much of the sporting pantheon. It's Sir AP McCoy. Now, before we get into this, what am I calling you? Am I calling you Sir? Am I calling you AP? Am I calling you Tony?
0: Sir, sir, whatever you want.
1: Not sorry. What are you happiest with? AP. AP. Okay, AP. Now, a a statistic that leaps out to me is that. you come from a country with 1.8 million people, but you seem to produce this endless list of sporting greats and sporting achievers. You've got Pat Jennings, you've got Darren Clark, you've got Carl Frampton, you've even got Ian Dower, who managed for me and got us <laughs> out of the Premier, into the Premier League. But more importantly than that, from that part of the world, there are some geniuses, I mean real geniuses, like Alex Higgins and what I consider to be the greatest footballer to ever yeah. have been on the football pitch, George Best. Mm. And then there's yourself. Is there something in the water over there, something going on in that part of the world?
0: As a kid, you know, you go through stages of watching wanting to be Alex Higgins, wanting to be Barry McGuigan, wanting to be. Do you? Yeah, you do. You, you, you follow the trait of whatever, whatever they are. And I mean, you, you speak about those people and I, and I, I.
1: But they're, I mean, they're geniuses. I mean, you, yeah. you're at the top of your profession.
0: They, you,
1: you're slightly different. Because you're at the top of your profession for a sustained period of time. They were at the top of their profession for a limited period of time, but they were geniuses. And some would argue you yeah. might be in that
0: camp that you're one too in your field. Uh, do you know, I, I don't know. I, I look at those people and I, I look at a George Best or a Barry McGuigan. I think, yeah, they were like global superstars. Like George Best was mm. like a god. You know, he was like, yeah, he maybe didn't have the longevity. But if you listen to, uh, you know, I remember listening to Pelly, he said he was one of the Maybe the best footballer they have ever seen, but that's all about opinions and generations, and and everyone's kind of got them. They were troubled geniuses. Is that something? I mean,
1: you're at the top of your game. You stayed there for twenty years, and you've you know you've achieved everything that you could possibly want to achieve in the sport. Those two boys with the genius, no doubt, they were geniuses. Well, they were very troubled geniuses. Is that something that well, you have, or something uh, part of
0: your life? That, I, I I I think there's a madness inside everyone that is has. has got the ability to I'm not I think I'm I'm different obviously I don't have it but I I look at all the sports people that I look up to as you know a Tiger Woods a Diego Maradona mm-hmm. who I thought I was 12 when he won the World Cup and I, I to this day think he's the best footballer I've ever seen in my life yeah, Zinedine Zidane Mike Tyson you know I think a Michael Schumacher you know I, I think there's I think there has to be a little bit of there has to be a switch you know I think there has to be a moment in your head, you think, you know, that I'd rather die than let someone beat me. I'd rather, I think there has to be a crazy. Does that, that come, does that
1: come from your background? I mean, we all come from somewhere, right? I come from South London. I was brought up with a certain outlook and certain disposition mm. with, a, with a quick thinking father and an ambition to be successful. Yeah. You come from a very different part of the world. You come from yeah. a part of the world where it's a, a divided part of the world. So yeah. terrorism forms part of the yeah. things. I yeah. think the trainer Billy Rock that you were yeah. talking about. Um, was a Protestant, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was um, a Protestant, so which yeah. was a, a different position than you took. Yeah. Does does that sort of environment, growing up in those those sort of environments, do you believe that shapes the,
0: uh, the the trajectory that you've gone on in your life? You know, I grew up as a as a Catholic in Northern Ireland. I grew up as a Celtic fan. The first football match I ever went to, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I, I went to. I went. My dad brought me on the boat from Larne to to go and watch Celtic at Parkhead. And and that's just where you're brought up, and that's where you grow up, and that's what you that's what your life is, and then to start riding, you know, for for this man Billy Rock, who happened to be a Protestant, and he used to my mother, God rest her, was she was very Irish, you know what I mean? I was going to
1: say that because yeah. one of the things I understand is that your mother was very passionate about Irish independence.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean I'm I'm Irish. I will always be Irish. I've got an Irish passport. I, I look at no, I look at the north of Ireland now, and I think, you know, you'll never be able to the 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 politics of it will never keep everyone happy you know what i mean but i you know those Unionists or protestants in the north of ireland will always want to be british and the ones who are catholics and, and nationalists will always want to be irish you know what i mean and but given you know, came
1: from background of fierce irish independence how yeah. do you square
0: that circle when you've sort of embraced the nature of you've been given a gong yeah, yeah and those sort of things if someone had said to me when i was 10 12 13 14 years old and i was playing Gaelic football that i would get an MB or an OB or a Knight or whatever. I'm thinking, not a chance that won't be happening. You know, I remember ringing my mother in 2002 when I broke the record and telling her that, you know I don't even know if there was emails at the time. I think it was a letter from the home office. You know, I said, I, I don't know what, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, am I, you know, 2002, the peace process had, I think it had had already come in and whatever. And, and I remember she sent to me, she said, look, Martin O'Neill managed, you know, the most Republican football mm. club in the world. He's from Derry, not far from where we live. Um, and he took an o- he took an MBA, I think it was at the time. And she says, I think you know you're you're going to be living the rest of your life in England, and we have to, you know, you have to move on, and and that's going to be your life, and you know it's the right thing to do, in, in this time, and, you know, once. Do you value it? I mean, I've got. I mean- uh, do you know what? I, I'm very respectful of. it. I, I you know I get where there will be people in Northern Ireland who will always be affected by what happened to their. You know, it'll be generations before it ever goes if it ever goes away. Because there will always be people affected directly by the troubles that we... Do you think sports
1: people... I mean, I've got I've, I've got this mixed emotion about it, AP. I'm not entirely sure, and I've made this case in many other places, that I'm for the idea of gongs being given to sports people. I think they were originated for something very different. Yeah. And they've been morphed into this society that we've now got, which is basically give a gong. Now, yeah. I'm not against recognition, greatness, yeah. of recognition of achievements, <laughs> but... Do you think I'm unfair in that analysis that? Not it at all. Be? I don't I, I think it's ludicrous to call you're your, your, your racing or Andy Andy yeah. Murray serving a ball. It's Sir Andy Murray ser- yeah. serving. I mean,
0: I've never I, I I am I'm very I feel very proud that someone wanted to give it to me. I have never ever written sir down in my life. I've never Good lad. I've never introduced myself, but I'm not being disrespectful for what I've got. Yeah. I, I I you know it it's I was offered it. I, I I'm I'm very proud of the fact that I was offered it. But I don't, I've, as I said, I'd never sign my name, sir. I think I had to do it in an official document once. I can't remember what it was. Someone made me do it. So I look at someone like my little lad had heart surgery when he was eight months old. And a, and a man in, in the Hardy Street clinic operated on him. And yeah. I thought to myself, you're a genius. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, yeah. you, you, you operate, you do two operations every day of the week, three days in Great Ormond Street, and two days in the Hardy Street clinic, you do two operations every day, I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I,
1: I've got a little boy that's had some yeah. surgery, something similar, yeah. not on the heart, but in yeah. the mouth. And you look at those people and you look at society that rewards people for doing things they enjoy and things yeah. they love yeah, and yeah, yeah, call yeah. them heroes and call them um, you know, reward them in a certain way.
0: And you've got these other guys out there that are doing things that are far far more meaningful. And, and I remember after Victor operated an archie and he, and he telling me about, oh, you do a sport and it's pressure and all that. He said, You know, he said, I, I operate two operations mostly every day. He said, it Doesn't always go right. Mm. And said, and pressure, right. And he said, I have to live with that. That's pressure, right? And he said, I have to live with that. Yeah, and you think to yourself, like, imagine. And he said, "I have to come thinking, how how did I let that happen, or how do I tell a mother or a father mm-hmm. that it didn't go well?" You know. So, in terms of being in sport and being in pressure and and jumping the gun again, it's not. But anyway, it's not comparison, the, is it? It's not, comparison. It's not so, comparison. So, but back to the gone thing, it's it's something that I'm I'm proud of. i I I feel, you know, from where I came from and the politics of all. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I would never go home. And and think that those people I went to school with, or those people that were brought up as Catholics in Northern Ireland, were thinking like, you know, I don't think they're a traitor. I think they're you know they don't yeah. think they think for one moment. Um, I think they, I think they're respectful of me. They know what's happened and it's just the way it's worked out. And, um, but I, I'm respectful of it. And and as I said, this is the thing about being brought up in Northern Ireland. You, 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 you know that there's going to be generations who will be affected by the troubles. Yeah. For, the, for until and it may be five generations before ever it dies. So I went to school with lads that, that their their parents may have been that that they may have lost parents in the in the troubles. You know what
1: yeah. I mean? And and because I so, mean, I see people's. So I
0: understand like- their hatred. I'm, yeah. And you know,
1: sometimes that hatred is inbred in a such yeah. a way that people don't even know why they're carrying it anymore. I mean, we can go back to the repeal of the potato laws and start saying yeah. that's the reasons yeah. why the dispute came yeah. from that. Yeah. I mean, we're all products of our environment. And you've you've left Northern Ireland. Mm. I left. So I couldn't wait yeah. to get out of South London. The yeah, yeah, quicker yeah. I could get away from yeah. it, the happier I was. Yeah. Went to America. The stupid bastard came back and bought the football club to live yeah. next door to. But that's <laughs> a different discussion. But... <laughs> You know, you've you've left Ireland, yeah. but the shaping of your character—we are what we are, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, you yeah, can take yeah. you can take uh, the boy yeah. out of South London, but you can never take South London out of the
0: boy. You can yeah. take you out of Northern Ireland, but never North, Northern Ireland out of yeah. you, right? No, hundred percent. Growing up as as a a Catholic and a Northern Ireland, you you. you you don't know any different, you know what I mean? You know, you're a Celtic fan or you're a Rangers yeah. fan, and that's the way it is. That's you know, the way it I grew is, up yeah. Ali McCoys. You know, I thinking like when I was a kid growing up, I grew up to hit Ali McCoys. You know, and then well, spend some 20... time with him, you'll you'll uh, you'll you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I do actually. This is what I'm saying. I actually become really <laughs> nah, he's good. a lovely fellow. I become really a good fellow. friends with him, and he and yeah. he's, you know, and 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 when you meet him first, you know, which was probably. I don't know how long ago, twenty-five years ago, whatever it was, I met him and think I was so disappointed that he was actually such a nice person. Yeah, he's <laughs> so, a nice guy, actually. Yeah, and 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 so open-minded and so you know and and the greatest company. So you kind of like, but but you don't know any different as a as a kid growing up. You yeah, know, that's what you're. You have your own biases. That's, that's that's what you have your own biases. Yeah. Politics yeah. and religion are the greatest divider. Yeah. If you can keep that with as many conversations yeah. as possible, then
1: you tend to find you'll so, get more harmony.
0: Yeah. So anyway, so getting from where I got to, I think, and then I went to live in this. Uh, I went to live in Sun um from when I was 15 and as I said, I left school and and the thing I remember Billy Rock telling my mother about, you know, she actually, she actually used to say to Billy Rock about me having no education and what will happen if he, if he, you know, if, if he's not any good as a jockey, what's he going to do? Like what's, you know, but Billy Rock's main business, he was the main supplier of artificial insemination for cows in Northern Ireland, <laughs> right, right? Okay. <laughs> there's a All complete, right. there's another subject. So he said he used to teach a lot of the big dairy farmers. He used to bring, he used to do a, a, he he used to do a course every sort of six months where he'd bring in six or eight of them and teach them how to do it themselves. And he right. said to me one day- Did You get involved with it? He said, yeah. Right. And he taught okay. me how to do it. And he brought me home into my mother's house one day. He said, now, Claire, he said, he will be all right as a jockey, I can guarantee that. But if he's not, I've taught him how to bowl cows. <laughs> so he's got something to fall back on. <laughs> I know that. I'm not sure I could do that. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A few I I things know. I could so, do. I'm not sure I could but do that. Th- and this is the other thing, Simon. About you, but th- you know, talk about religion and all this. I thought Billy Rock, if Billy Rock, could have told me I- you're going to the moon tomorrow. I'd have went. You'd have believed them, yeah. yeah. I'd i i have believed them. Yeah. You know, and and to this day, I look at him and think, and he gave me so much belief when I was a child. Yeah, you know, he told me that I should go. You, you you have every chance of being a, a proper jockey and if you, you know, you've got work getting, and, and you, sh- you should leave home because it's never going to work for you here and you have to go and do this. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about your particular sport
1: and and, I've, and cards on the table. I'm not, uh, I never have been a great lover of horse racing. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never been able to get invested in it. It, might, yeah, yeah. it may be, it may yeah. be because I, I, well before I bought Crystal Palace, I had a yeah. huge punt on a, on a, it's yeah. called Sellers Flyer. Okay, yeah, lost yeah, the function, yeah. and yeah, when I bought a football club that played at Sellers Park, yes, maybe yeah. that's the stigma. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. It's not it's not aimed at being disrespectful. Yeah. Um, but it's aimed at. Well, I'm trying to square a circle in my mind and looking at sportsmen mm-hmm. because you're you're a sportsman. Yeah. Um, and I look at sports and I say, I look at all these guys and all these sports where people are achieving them, mm-hmm. and I attribute their success solely to themselves. I look at cricketers. I look at tennis players, yeah. I look at boxers, I look at footballers mm-hmm. and I think to myself there's no other component part. No. The only part that makes you successful is your own ability. Yeah. And then I look at horse racing. Yeah. Or Formula 1. Yeah. And I say car horse, car horse. <laughs> yeah. And does that mean then that I put you in the same bracket as being a great sportsman alongside those other sportsmen but you wouldn't have been without the horse or the car?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I think that you know you need you need the animal, you need the car to to make sure you're good at, to, to to be your good at sports. So they do they deserve more credit than you do? And yeah, they probably do. I always think that the horse deserves the, the horse always deserves the credit because no matter how good a jockey you are, right. I'd like to say yeah, I was just lucky and I got on to, I got to be able to ride more horses that were faster than everyone else's horses, and it was just pure luck that I had nothing to do with my ability to, you know, it had nothing to do with Michael Schumacher's ability to. To be able to navigate his way around a racetrack because he was in the fastest car, whether it be Ferrari or whoever it was he was driving for.
1: So is the argument? I mean, is there
0: is there a fairness in the
1: argument and I, I, that the best horse will win the will win the race more often I, 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 than not?
0: I think, but I, I think I think you do need the horse, but I do think as a jockey or a Formula One driver, you do need to be able to make better decisions more often, quicker decisions more often. You do need to make less mistakes, you know, then you need to be able to win more than everyone else and you need to put yourself in a position where someone is going to want you more than anyone else. So I, I do think a bad jockey can get a good horse beaten. Yeah. A good jockey has less chance of getting a good horse beaten or do I look at races and think the jockey made the difference there? Yeah, I do. Because I think they have a, a better ability to read a situation quicker, to make an instinctive maneuver quicker than others. Um, and and it's like that. Do you think do you do you, do you think Michael Schumacher would just do you think he was just maybe a, you know?
1: A... No, I think you're right. I mean, I think ultimately the question the question abounds about my comparing you. I suppose not as a great jockey against other jockeys, but as a as a great sportsman. Yeah. And the framing of you as a great sportsman. Yeah. yeah. I introduce you yeah. in this in, the, in this set as one of the greatest, most recognizable sportsmen, and I yeah. want to question that because I'm looking at it going. Well, what do I consider to be a sportsman? I consider a sportsman to be someone that is controlling his own destiny and responsible for his own destiny and the yeah. only part of his destiny yeah. that he can alter is the things he does. And then I look at Michael Schumacher and I look at jockeys and it's, yeah. and again, it's not me being disrespectful. No, no. A, it's me uh, no, trying I, to understand I, I, the I, dynamic I, and square my own circle and and, yeah. and, and 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 understand my own thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think you see that. I, I think me as a jockey, I think, and a little bit like Formula One driver, I think you even though it is a car or a horse, I do think there's a team around that as well. And to be a good sports person, whether it be a football or whatever, I think, you know, their, their teams are... are. You but you know, can't have a great jockey and a shit horse, can
1: you, and no, win not, things?
0: No, not really, no, yeah. but you can... I like to think that I got on horses before that other people had ridden lots and didn't win on, and I managed to get them to win. Right. So I was able to work out ways to make them run faster. And it. And we in sport, uh, me as a jockey, give horse enough credit because I think... The, the mentality of them is so important. It's all you can all say very well. It's about their fitness levels and all that. But but the mind of a horse is like the mind of a human. And sometimes yeah. when you get them to win, you know, winning is 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 a the greatest habit to get into. And it's like you know, it's whether it be a boxer. And then some of them lose confidence. Some of them get confidence. And I think horses get confidence in winning. And I think if you can teach them mentally, you know, and and you think people, so. You, have you ridden a losing horse and turn it into a winner? Yeah, I I think I yeah. think I rode lots of horses. Don't, not in an arrogant way, but I, I rode horse that had ran eight or 10 or 12 times before, never won. And then I managed to get him to win four races in a row. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that, you know, if you, you you know, what's the difference between being a football manager that's, don't like mentioning, but what, what, what Unai Emery has done at Aston Villa like, you think, yeah he's, as you know, a player, yeah, as, know, as opposed to what he did to Arsenal. So, so, you know, you think to yourself, you know, is he all of a sudden, those players that he had or that they've, they've. They've turned around, unbelievable, in in five or six months. Maybe he just got lucky. You know, I, I don't know. No, of course it's, it's not. It's It's, a it's, skill, hard, isn't it? it's hard to it's compare. A, it's a skill. It's hard to compare me with doing our Emery and say that he's got those 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 <laughs> footballers right. to, to yeah. run more and play better than he had some old nights before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Do you how, know what I mean so? How, I mean, how do you develop your relationship and connection with an the animal? Then uh, you see, this is the thing as well as I as I grew up as a kid having not really a great knowledge of horse racing, not really knowing. Like I never got taught how to ride. I I and the more I got into horses and I kind of watched the best people and I think, uh, to be a jump jockey when I came thinking first Richard and Woody was champion jockey and I used to look at him. I thinking it was before you know John Frankham and Peter Scorn were more before my time. But Richard and Woody was the best and I didn't want to know about any of the rest of them. I just right. I just wanted he was my because statistically and every reason he had all he had every, he had everything. He won everything. He was better than everyone else So my opinion, I didn't care what anyone else thought. All I wanted to do was. I mean let like him,
1: yeah. What makes a great jockey?
0: I know what makes a great footballer. I know
1: what makes a great tennis player because I've played tennis myself. You know, I was sponsored by Don. I got to a certain level at tennis. I played football, I signed for Chelsea when I was 15 years of age. I've been around people that have been successful in business. So I know what makes a great businessman. I know what makes a good tennis player. I know what makes a great sports person in certain respects.
0: But given my attitude towards horse racing and looking at your particular profession, what makes a great jockey? I think for twenty years of my life as a jockey, I don't think I was ever content. I was never right. satisfied. I was never happy. I was happy. I was happy being miserable. I always wanted more. I never, I was never satisfied. I, I. But that's the nature of ambition, isn't it? Yeah, I've always been the same. Never content. Absolutely same. Never content. And I, and I, I went to sports psychology when I was twenty three because it was a thing that was becoming. You know, something that was talked about. I think even maybe Tiger might have even you know. But I just thought, but I went because I thought it might make me better. Do you know what I mean? I went because I was open minded to think that this could make me. And I'm and, and I'm not being disrespectful to him because it definitely helps some people and it makes people better and that's what you should always. But aspire to, yeah. Aspire to it. It didn't yeah. make me better because I I never wanted to be happy with not winning. I didn't want. I wanted to go to bed at night miserable when I when I was when I was crap at what I was meant to be good at and. But the good thing that I felt that I got really good at was waking up the next morning, believing that today is the day yeah, and, and I am going to be good today. And I was very, I think my, what I, I found, I think what helped me a lot is that I, I was good at being level. I never got up or down. I appreciate yeah, the Rudyard
1: Kipling thing where you don't get done by either imposters. You don't
0: go ridiculously yeah. high when you yeah. win and you don't go ridiculously low when you lose. And, and never to worry about praise or criticism because yeah. you know, the, treat them equally, treat them equally. Yeah. And but you have to appreciate and you have to enjoy the big day winning the Chatham Gold Cup or the Grand National whatever. But and and I think there's an egotistical thing in every good sports person that you know, Tiger Woods knows this week that everyone is going to be watching Tiger yeah. Woods, even though he's 46 or 7 there's going to be more people who want to watch Tiger Woods than there is all the other golfers put together. When think- you say
1: you had to enjoy, did you? I mean, I remember when Palace got promoted to the Premier League. I'm 31, I buy the football club. When I'm 35, I said, I'll get the football club in the Premier League within five years, I did it mm. in four. And I remember not particularly enjoying it, not particularly appreciating it and looking back on it and thinking, "Geez, I wish I'd enjoy that moment a little bit more. Now, was, of course, I'm not a participant in the game. I'm the owner of the football club, but you were a participant in those moments, those iconic moments where you win these huge Horse races. Do you think you enjoyed them as much as you could have done? Or oh yeah. You, were did. you in the
0: moment? Oh yeah. I, I was always in the moment. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed the torture of the build-up to. I enjoy. I enjoyed. You know, th- those big moments last for a little longer, obviously. So they do. But, but you you enjoy the the drive to get there. But the problem is that when you hold up, you know, I I, I was lucky. I was champion jockey for twenty years in a row. The season ended at Sandown at the end of the year. I only got enjoyment out of being champion jockey for the two or three, four weeks, whatever it was before I held up that trophy because numerically no one was able to beat me. And I had three weeks of, that's when I felt like I was champion jockey. The day I held up the trophy in Sandown and put it down Sunday morning, it was gone. Yeah, it was like someone else's, Yeah, someone else's completely gone. So I, I really, I, I really only ever felt that I got three or four weeks of enjoyment out of being champion jockey because- right. Because numerically, because no the, the next challenge comes again. Because the next challenge comes again, and it's like, I don't think I don't think people who who are successful in sport are ever satisfied. Do you, yeah, you know, I don't think they can. Even, I don't think it's just sport. I think it's just life. Moves. I think
1: it's full stop. I think people that yeah. work, you know that's why you get guys that make a lot of money in in fields that I've been in go and make more and more and more because yeah. you're driven. Yeah, why, you're do you're they, driven. Not, why do
0: they not give up and retire? Yeah,
1: and, that's, I, and I, it was going to lead me into the observation of you know what 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 reasons do you attribute. To the continued success that you had, I, I'm assuming that it's the very reasons that you're laying out there, which is yeah. the drive, the yeah, determination, yeah. the want aspiration to, be to keep on better, and never wanting to settle. Yeah, I want it. It's to a be unique
0: different. mindset. Yeah, I want it to be different. I want it to be different, and I say this, you know, I, I you know, my little lad is nine. I bring him to f- places, Swin in certain and plays football, and I and I tell him just, you know, I rub the back of his head sometimes. You're not sweating. Do you know what I mean? You're not sweating. So, so, like, you know, I can't get this thing in my head where people. You know, I, I may not have been the you know, I, I walked when I went into the jockey changing room, I, I I don't mean this an argument, I looked around and thinking, I want to be better than everyone in here. Yeah. And I and and even though if you're at Crystal Palace to footballer, you should walk in there thinking, I want everyone to think that I'm the best one out there. You know, I had people saying to me, Why are you going to Sedgefield four hours in a car to ride in one horse race? I'm thinking, thinking because I can and I want to mm, and I want to and yeah. I know that, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks. Mm. But, you know, if you want to beat me, you're gonna to have to do it as well. You know what I mean? Are you going you know? How so, do you
1: react to failure? Or or not because you didn't have much. To be honest, we didn't have much
0: of it. Oh you? no, I did. But I had I had more than anyone else. That's, really, that's the thing. I I rode nearly eighteen thousand races. So you won one in four. And 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 yeah, I rode uh, yeah. So yeah. I I and I and I nearly eighteen thousand races. And the day I retire, Richard Johnson, who was he actually was champion jockey for four years after me, he was runner up to me sixteen years in a row. And there was all these headlines in the paper about how so great, call great I was. I rode four thousand three hundred and fifty seven winners whatever. And Richard Johnson looked at me and goes, yeah and not one so-and-so has mentioned the nearly 14,000 losers a year after riding, have they? Do you know what I mean? He said, you're actually the losing most jockey of all time. Now, the greatest thing for me is that he's actually the losing most jockey now ever because he rode for longer than me and didn't win as many as me. So I'm pleased. I'm pleased that that's one record he's had. So so you actually lose more. You do actually lose more. But I had this thing as long as I win more than everything else. And I used to look at myself as the... I wasn't being disrespectful to the others. I used to look at myself as the benchmark. If I could beat what I'd done the previous time, then then I'll be hard to beat. You know so I mean?
1: how do you look at your record? I mean, you I mean you you've you know you've got this unique perspective of having ridden the most winners, mm. yet the statistic comes out that you lose more than you win. Yeah. And and you look at that and does that because I've had met significant failures in my life. You yeah. know, the ultimate end of my yeah. time at Crystal Palace was a failure that I took very hard and, yeah. t- and and I believe that you learn more from failures. I believe oh, that you get yeah. more from the challenges in life than you do. When you win, it breeds a certain type of mentality. When you lose, it breeds another. Yeah. So I suppose the question is, do you take more from some of the failings uh, than I, you did uh, from some of the successes?
0: I I, I suppose I what I did in the evening times, I used to come home and watch replays and I probably spent more, I, well I didn't probably, I definitely spent more time watching the races that I didn't win, trying to work out why I didn't win. and. What I did do, I rode for Manco Martin Pipe, who was the most successful jump trainer ever. I, I used to write reports about his horses every night. And and then I ended up writing about reports about other horses that weren't even his because I thought to myself, well, I could actually learn a bit from this from my mistakes and I can look back and I've got it in writing and it's not like trying to remember it, because if you got it written down, you you actually and 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 I know that those are things that made me better. I you know, I know that those are things that not I don't Rivalry was was yeah. rivalry I
1: mean I, I had I didn't have rivals in my business career I had people that I thought I think that rivalry I could do makes you better You That's need what I was going to say yeah.
0: Did it inspire you? Yeah Did I it mean, motivate when I, you? When I started off as an apprentice jockey uh, in a, with a man called Jim Bulger, there was there was so many good young jockeys there and, and 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 it makes you better competition makes you better I think it's the early 2000s did Arsenal and Manchester United make each other better you know do you think people say oh Manchester City are the best Premier League team we've ever seen but you, you look at you look at the Arsenal team or I look at the Invincible well, you team. Would or you the an Ma- Arsenal fan yeah, yeah. But yeah, I look yeah. at the Man United team, even I think like, you know, how, how good the two of those teams are, even the United team that won a treble. You know what I mean? You think to yourself, I still think the Arsenal Invincible team is like, you know, I think again, that's a moment of history. You think, and I, it's one of the things I often like through Alex Ferguson about is like, you know, he, he is supposedly the most decorated football manager in English history. And I say to him, but you let a team go through a Premier League season. Unbeaten. Oh, Unbeaten. Uh, and, and kills him I know it kills him it's the only thing that you can get him but but and then of course it's 12 draws you know what I mean I mean how come you know yeah. but that's not that's not winning that's drawing games. Yeah, yeah yeah but but what I'm saying is that's you know that's it's like
1: I had this debate with Keon and you're yeah. not
0: actually Martin keon
1: you're not actually yeah, yeah. an Arsenal, Arsenal Invincible because yeah. you only play four games
0: <laughs> I that's right I did hear it but it's, you know what I'm saying so I look at that and I think you know that 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 is that is greatness yeah you know, in terms of like you know, when that, you look
1: at it in isolation, at the time, yeah, I, you know, because my team, Palace, were in the Premier League at that time, and we we um, played Arsenal on their 49th game, and then they lost their fiftieth. I think they lost yeah, it to Manchester United. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah and, yeah, and we nearly beat them at Sellers yeah, Park and we missed right, a yeah. goal in the last minute. And uh, and you didn't. You, you, at the time, I didn't really appreciate yeah. the greatness of what Arsenal had achieved. Yeah, I want to go back to I want to go back to your sports mm-hmm. um, and talk about the current state. Of horse racing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a sport of kings. Yeah. Also it's badged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously there's a lot going on in the modern era from the yeah. use of the whip yeah. to allegations of misogyny, yeah, to uh situations uh, surrounding trainers sitting on the carcasses of dead horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got Peta and the animal rights groups rising yeah, yeah. up left, right, and centre. Yeah, yeah. And the sport seems to be in a strange place. You've got people having whips airbrushed out. You've had allegations yeah, of overusing yeah. the whip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what do you? What? How do you look at it now? It's a sport that you love. It's a sport that you, you've talked to me about the love of animals that you have. How do you square all these circles with the current
0: challenges it's got? And of course, it's badging you know, as the sport of kings. I, I think. I think. I think society in the world is 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 very different than it used to be. Yeah. And the 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 queen of Illingall rest it was it was her yeah it was her passion her you know passion, what i mean yeah. and you you know you sit down and you speak to her about it and all she could tell you everything about about the generations of the horses that they had in the family and 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 you think to yourself you know there is you know someone in this country there is your queen who you all look up to and and this is her passion and and it's all very well when she's talking about it but when someone else is trying to justify it you don't want to know mm. it's like all sports there you know you you often you question the governing bodies you think are there motives right you know you want reasons to make it better and you want it you know unfortunately is it something you'd like to do? I mean I I'm recently looking at the boxing world and I,
1: and I may well get involved significantly in boxing. I'm yeah. looking at some of the nonsense is going in there in terms of the governance. Yeah, yeah, I call yeah. the British Boxing Board of Control the British Boxing Board of No Control. I look it at really the drug- seems a bit like that. I look at and that's what i was going to say to you. Yeah, yeah. Is it like that and is it something that you think given what you what you did in that profession and your reputation within the confines of it? Is it something that you feel that is uh a calling I, I, for you to get I, involved I, I, with, I perhaps think, in the I, governance
0: I, of it I, I think in terms of horses I think society definitely has made it more, diffi- diff- more difficult because people you know you, you I, I think our sport tries too hard to try and justify itself you know I, I, in, is that because it has to? I, you know I, I think does it have to? I, I don't know that it has uh, you know as I said you know, you you not it. think it does? If you if you've got if you've got an animal, I mean, yeah. this is,
1: be, this is yeah, yeah. me playing devil's advocate, yeah. right? You've got an animal that's doing one thing and one thing only, and yeah. its sole focus in life is to be ridden by human beings yeah. to be able to afford an yeah. opportunity to win races. It's being hit by a whip, yeah, yeah. and people are looking at it from the outside world. Do you not think there is an element of justification? In a society that evolves and moves on,
0: yeah, it, and it does, and I actually do think it has it has moved on. I I look at the term, I, I look at the terms of that. The the word whip is not a good thing as well because it what what it is now is like a air cushioned, and, and it is it is it is so well padded now. And, and actually, genuine, I should have brought one in and let you hit me right it because it's actually not anywhere near. Just you know, bring
1: me one in full stop so I can hit my producer Yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Repeatedly. It's, you know, so I, I do think that we,
0: I, I do think that, w- 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 you know, it could change the, the wording of it because, uh, and I do think there is a, I do think there is a place for it and I, and, and and I do think it has been pretty well. Do you think it'll be outlawed in the end? Uh, I, I, I think if they make the right decisions, it won't, you know, because right. I don't think, I don't think it is abusive in the way that, that, that it has been used and because it has been cushioned so well, uh, it, you know, it makes as much noise as, as it does. You know, as I said, I genuinely would let you hit me with, with an air cushion whip now. It's not like it used to be. You know, you're on about the, the, the British Boxing border Control about trying to, there'll always be but it people. Seems like there's,
1: there's challenges.
0: There's, there's always going to be challenges. Is, here's yeah. the thing, like yeah. I think
1: there's challenges, right? Mm. And to address these challenges, like in the boxing world, the drug testing regimes are very poor yeah. and fighters aren't being tested. Yeah. And And it would appear to me that in order to be able to do something, you need to be better at doing it and addressing yeah. the issue yeah. rather than ignoring the issue. Yeah. And I suppose one of the things with horse racing that I would look at is it's, it's it's reputation, its profile for those that are looking from the outside that want to criticise it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. does it does it do enough to be able to address? I don't just mean PR. Yeah. I mean addressing the challenges. Yeah. Everyone knows what horse racing can represent. to Some people, yeah, yeah, but the challenge is that other people are suggesting that it does this, it does that, it does this and the other, and yeah. no one seems to be putting their best foot forward to be able to address those issues.
0: Yeah, I, I, you see, I I think in terms of of the welfare of it all, I think it, I I actually do. I often look at horses you know like like sports people horses get injured or whatever and and the, the care that what horses... did you think of Gordon Elliott? What he did? I mean it was a stupid thing to do. Why why you know why and he knows that. You know mm-hmm. and he uh, it was the most stupid thing to do. Why would you do it? Now the one thing I would say and I'm not standing up for him if you went to Gordon Elliott's yard as a whole it has state of the art equipment for looking after them. He has vets in regularly that check the horses that look after their welfare. You see horses that you know, that may have an injury, you can take them to the vet and they get looked at within 10 minutes, yeah. five minutes, the vet will be there and they'll give them, you know, you're in a hospital, you could be waiting for God however long well, in this to, try and, to try and get care. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, God, a horse is, is so much better off than a human. And 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 the man who I used to ride for, J.P. Omanis has, has full time vets that, that he makes, he he wants the vet to go and check his horses every couple of weeks. You know they trot them out to make sure that that they they may have any little sorenesses or or things that may that you know prevention is better than cure. They don't want anything to happen to them because you want to make sure they're sound and they're healthy. And you know if that was a human being, they, they don't you don't you don't go into the healthcare and every couple of weeks and make sure your health is all right. You know what I mean? I'm no. thinking, but this happens. Different to the, value seemingly. You know, this yeah, this happens. This happens to the horse, and it's not because he he wants the horse. He obviously wants the horse to to win races and be perform well, but he he likes having them at home. There's there's any God's amount of them that are, it's is 31, not just because he was a brilliant racehorse, but he's at home and he's looking after, he gets better, he's a better retirement than I'll ever have. You know, and and, and so so trying to justify it as, as a business, it's a hard thing to try and justify it. But as I said, that's something that, you know, I, I often say, this was my thing theory is that, you know, the Queen of England, that was her passion, you know, and you think why no one ever once questioned, you know, why she had racehorses.
1: But I suppose the question about horse racing is, it's it's fitness for purpose in the current yeah. culture that we live in, and one of the parts of that, I, I'm, I hate this expression, yeah. but it's one that gets used a lot, which is diversity and inclusion, and yeah. that, that moves into the territory of talking about the experiences of female jockeys yeah, yeah, yeah. inside yeah. the world of horse racing, and we've obviously seen the situation with Bryony Frost and mm. the and the scenario that happened with her, yeah. um, and uh, the weighing room. What do you make of the culture of Horse racing, specifically for female jockeys, to be able to survive, thrive, oh, prosper. In I
0: think the likes of Rachel Blackmore and Holly Doyle in the flat. You know, Holly Doyle is the prime example of a girl who done really well as an apprentice, um, and and said herself that she wasn't good enough to compete. Went off, got a personal trainer, the whole lot, became yeah. stronger, became fitter, and now Came is a and 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 made herself so better. But what and, about and this the allegation that, that the culture of the weighing room is? Prejudicial against female jockeys. I, I, I think. I think the culture of the weigh room. I think with that. I think that was a media-driven story. If I'm being perfectly honest.
1: How many female jockeys were you around during your time?
0: Uh, there was a few. It was becoming. It was. Uh, there were. You. Know, there were becoming more. Yeah. I, th- I think. I think Rachel Blackmore. I think really she was the one that that made a breakthrough in terms of girls. You know that she gave them a real. I think you can win the Grand National. You can win the Cheltenham Gold Cup. You can win the Champion. You know, if you're if you're good enough, it's got nothing to do with whether you're male or female. I mean, uh, you we we spoke about Formula One earlier on. Mm. So what, Why, if it's a car, yeah, why have no, we? Going why it, yeah, why yeah. have we not had a, a female racing driver? Female racing driver. Mm. I you know I feel like you know if you read the newspaper, you believe that there wasn't a female changing room. You know that's that's what people are led to believe. You know, no one. I was never in the female changing room in my life. You know, but no, but it's
1: the culture in that specific room, yeah. the weighing room, that people yeah. are suggesting is an intimidating environment. It's a prejudicial environment. That's where the allegations. I, you know, and I was curious to see, you yeah. know, what and your I, and, take on and, and it was. My
0: take on would have been if there had been a, a number of them had came out in supportive and said, yeah, there is a culture. Yeah, but, but, but they didn't do did that. There wasn't one. No, no, you know, and, and that fact, for me, and in fact, that po- for me would actually, actually applies. That would actually, for me, think. Oh, well is there a culture or is it just what well, is that because is they just, were
1: too scared to come out with it because ultimately think, they would lose I think,
0: acceptance I think if you actually went and asked them all and I think there was actually I think the BHA got themselves in the position where they where they let it go so far that they, they had they, to do something they had to do something yeah you know so but that's only my opinion football mm-hmm. love of yours
1: yeah tell us about your first experience you went to Celtic you've, when the, you've the, moved you've pivoted from Celtic to Arsenal
0: well I'll tell I'll tell you how I ended up an Arsenal fan I I was five when Arsenal won the 1979 FA Cup. I had two Alan like, Sunderland, yep, three two Manchester United. Yep. I had two older cousins, who were Manchester United fans. I think they were probably maybe eight and ten, or, and we were watching the FA Cup final. And my dad, you know, had said to me, he wasn't, he wasn't, he he was probably more a Gillick man than soccer, any, but he he had said to me that the Arsenal team, were pretty much, Irish, you know? right, Pat Jennings. Liam yeah. Brady, Frank Stapleton, Frank Stapleton, David yeah. O'Leary, Sammy Nelson, Sammy Nelson, Pat yeah. Rice. You know yeah. all, the whole lot of them, all Irish. So I had this thing that, and the first ever kit that I got was uh, a yellow and blue Arsenal away Ars- kit. Ars- yeah. Arsenal the away cup final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the one I the first one I got. I got for, got as a Santa brought it for me for Christmas. I remember queuing up <laughs> outside a sports shop in nineteen eighty two, not actually probably nineteen eighty three after the World after, after the World after, Cup. After yeah. and, and to get Pat Jerry Ge- to yeah. get Pat Jennings to sign a football for me. Right. And in sports, and Marfelt there was a queue from here, you know, however long. I, and my mother brought me, she, as I said, there was six of the family, but she brought me because I wanted to go and get a, a, a Pat Jennings, something signed by Pat Jennings. She bought me a football. She probably couldn't hardly afford it buy football at the time and got Pat Jennings to sign it. So, so from that day, I became an Arsenal fan. And and obviously I've been very lucky. I've got to meet Pat and know him and yeah. I played golf and whatever. And, and, and I think to myself, how lucky you are. But you know, Pat Jennings and Liam Brady were kind of my heroes growing up. Liam
1: Brady had my pants down, metaphorically, because
0: <laughs> he was the academy director at Arsenal and I bought my first two players
1: yeah. from him and David Dean over his shoulders going, we've got a mug here. Uh, yeah, 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 he's worth 500 grand for that and a million yeah. quid for them buying these. Oh, is he really? Oh, thank you, Liam. Yeah. I'm thinking of this wonderful goal he scored against yeah. Spurs whilst he's t- tucking me up for two academy quid players for a couple of million so, quid.
0: So, so I, that, was, that was my only time meeting Pat Jennings. And I was an Arsenal fan. 1996 I think it was I was doing something with Richard and Woody was just about to become champion jockey for the first time for Guinness and I was going through the crowd at Cheltenham and I had had my racing gear on but I had a coat on and an arm stopped me going through the crowd and I looked back and it was Liam Brady and I was like he said oh I'm Liam Brady I'm thinking I I, I know who you are I have pictures of you and I was kid and Liam Brady actually, and that was the first time I ever met Liam Brady Liam Brady stopped me in in Cheltenham and I was like and now I am really friendly with him. I play golf with him. I, and I, you know, they say, but never meeting your heroes. You know, I'm friend, but I'm, I'm actually friends with my hero. And I think to myself, how lucky are you in life to, to have a relationship with someone that you grew up worshiping as a yeah, kid? Yeah.
1: I, listen, I, I, one of my favorite actors is Liam Neeson. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ironically, Liam Neeson is a Crystal Palace fan. Is and, he? And years ago, because he was he born at, in the same hospital
0: as me. He, was he? Have, you know? Yeah. yeah and he out, well, he
1: moved over. He moved over to, uh, um, I think in his early 20s, over to South London. His yeah. best mate lived in Stockwell. Yeah. So he got into supporting Crystal Palace. Yeah. And I remember years ago, I got this phone call and I'm sat in, well, well I live in Spain or where I lived yeah. in Spain. And he uh, said, Simon. I said, yes. He said, uh, it's Liam Neeson here. I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. Is yeah. He said, I'd like to come to the game. On uh, Sunday, I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah call my secretary." Right? <laughs> Forgot about it. Walked into the boardroom, and he was there, and he's there, oh, and he's yeah. looking at this miserable collection of pots and pans in our trophy cabinet, oh, no. which is bare. Right? He goes, "This is great. It's such an honour to be here." Yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking, I don't know yeah, who's yeah. got the honour, me or you? Yeah,
0: yeah. So that's kind of like so. That, so I so so from that young age, I, I you know, and most of the kids around our area were either Man United or Liverpool fans. You know what I mean? That's you know, they were all all the kids I knew went to school with. They're all Liverpool. And and the only reason that I became an Arsenal fan was because of that day, that Arsenal won the, and the FA Cup and and and. But your
1: first experience was going over to watch the Old Firm derbies, was not it? Yeah, my first it? experience yeah.
0: was to go and watch to go and watch Celtic and Rangers. I went in the boat, 1984. Went in the car, my dad and a couple of friends, and, and you literally have Celtic and Rangers fans on the boat together, and you think like, now I do think to this day it's probably one of the greatest, and and the Rangers fans will say the same about going to Ibrox. I do think it's one of the greatest atmospheres and sport is, oh, to go, it. is to go yeah, to the old firm game at Parkhead I think yeah, it's like it's remarkable it's a remarkable you know. experience but yeah so so Celtic was my first real game and then I think I went to Highbury when I came here and I came to England in 1994 I think I went to Highbury in 95 or something I went was, my was first. that George Graham yeah George so Graham. and then we had I think we had Bruce Riock for a little while didn't we but he bought Dennis Burkamp. he did so he, he did he bought Dennis Burkamp. so I don't think we can but, ever
1: you know, I suppose on what you uh, you give me Bruce Rick and someone else will uh, give you Arsenal uh, Wenger. And uh, there I know,
0: a- I know. And then, and then we got Arsenal, and and then we got as Arsenal fans, you get spoiled. You get spoiled because you had a team. You know, you look at that. I mean, the biggest, greatest disaster that Arsenal ever did was letting Ashley Cole go to Chelsea. But that's another story. But you look uh, at the, you look at cashly. the, you look. At I had the at Palace for you. Yeah, mm. but you look at that. You look at the invincible. You know that Saul Campbell, Lauren, Toure, Ashley Cole. You know, I think it was a Gilberto, Edu, Vieira. You know Martin and and Robert Perez, mm. Lundberg, Burkamp, Henri. Some team like and the Giants. Mm-hmm. Other than actually, Hall, they were like, you know. So, um, so you get spoiled. Does football frustrate you? Because I mean, when I when
1: I listen to you and I talk to you, you're very driven, and you when you get animated about winning and being better than everyone else, you can clearly see why you're at the top of your profession. When you watch footballers that sometimes have a tacit acceptance of defeat or roll about on the floor, or fanny about on the I, pitch, I, not doing what they should do. Do you look at it and go, how are you guys vaguely resembling a winner?
0: I wondered if footballers ever go home and watch replays of, you know, getting a little flick and they roll mm. around thinking. The best ones do I think. Do you know, I, I, and I think to myself, I, I remember, I remember breaking, I remember just to my collarbone and breaking eight ribs one day in Taunton. And I was petrified about getting on a stretcher in case someone seen me in case I wasn't injured properly. And I thought to myself, <laughs> All right and I actually thought i was this was 2012 so i was getting to the latter part of my career and i didn't want anyone else in the war room to think that i was soft yeah, I wanted, to think, wasn't there yeah, yeah. I wanted to think you know what if you're going to beat me yeah you're going to you're going to know what the definition yeah. of beating me means yeah yeah, yeah. and what it takes to, and what
1: it likes to well be. that leads to that leads me to a a, a a really interesting question i think about anything in life to get anywhere in life there has to be sacrifices mm and you have to make sacrifices. And I suppose the, the, the ultimate question for you is how important has sacrifice been to you in your career? Because you've gone through, when would they say, A 1,000 falls a jockey has, yeah, 206 I, bones broken, a broken back, Yeah. an attitude that exhibits all the characteristics of somebody that's prepared to do whatever it takes to win within
0: the reason and realms of fairness. I look at other jockeys and you think it is a very dangerous sport and I have unfortunately saw jockeys suffer life changing injuries and I, I've saw f- jockeys suffer fatal injuries that that I have images in my head that will never go out of my head a lad John Thomas McNamara rode a horse in Cheltenham 2013 that I had won on lots of times told him how to ride him got a felt fall at the first fence was resuscitated, resuscitated twice I remember going to the doctor it was near the last race he told me it wasn't very good and I remember looking over at his suit hanging up thinking he ain't coming back mm. do you know what I mean and mm. He was he was paralyzed from the neck down. He lived for about four or five years and, and then died and I remember thinking, What a price to pay mm. and I have this image, even I don't go into Wareham and Chatham anymore, but forevermore I went to Wareham and I looked at that thinking, you know, he was a lad I, I was friendly, yeah, but but a I told a him he rode a horse that I rode mm. all its runs beforehand. It was an amateur race it was running in and he was an amateur and I and I wrote so you know, you have you have images in your head that will never go away and you think, but the reality of it is there's two ambulances going around behind you and you think to yourself, in my case, I thought I'm going in there more than anyone else because I'm going to be going hopefully faster than everyone else. Yeah. I'm going to be winning more than everyone else. and I'm going out there more than everyone else. So I have to have the mindset that... It's a trade-off. Yeah, it's a trade-off. It's yeah. a trade-off. And, and, and I, I had this thing in my head that I knew I was going to get injured. I broke my ankle, broke my leg, broke my arm, my wrist, my lower back, middle back, all my, my, both my shoulder blades on my ribs both my collarbones, my sternum,
1: oh, all my teeth, okay. you know, you know oh. so
0: don't, you know, but I actually, but I actually think to myself, I, I, I used to think to myself, if I can get a period of time without that happening to me, I've done well. Now, I suppose the only time that I, I did think, I thought for three or four minutes when I was lying on the ground in Warwick, when I couldn't feel anything, when I broke my back, I kind of thought that I didn't know if the sweat would run down before forehead out of pain or fear. Right. And I said, in those three or four minutes, if someone came along and said, "Look, I don't have any painkillers, but I have a gun. Do you want me to shoot you?" You'd think, give it another yeah. thirty seconds. If they don't come, shoot me. That's how bad it is. Then the doctor comes along and the uh, first aid, and they put you in a spinal board, and you can feel in these legs. And the doctor sticks a needle in you and fills you with morphine. And then I, I, all I wanted to do was was prove to the doctor that I could get better. I can yeah. heal quicker than everyone else. I can get back. I broke my back on the twelfth of January. I Operated on the fifteenth of January. Two plates, four screws either side of my spine. And I rode Friday before Chatham, which was about the tenth of March. So in just under eight weeks, I, I got back to riding horses when I went to two neurosurgeons in London about six weeks later and they looked at me like as if to say, What are you doing here? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, I'm gonna ride in like in, in a week and a half, two weeks. I'm thinking
1: It's a psyche of a winner though. You, you know, it? so it so you think be. to yourself,
0: you know, all I want to do is to prove to him that you can actually do this. Yeah. And Actually, one of the funny things I went to do, um, I, I, I went to, Steve Perdue had a, had a cryotherapy unit. Old Champneys. in Chomneys. Yeah, I know, Steve. yeah. yeah. And, I, and I spent sort of uh, it was through Charlie Brooks at the time who was who, who was a trainer at the time and he'd get into this this cryotherapy it Increases the, It increases the white cells in the blood, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, and do you know what? I couldn't do much and I thought, do you know what, this is not going to do me any harm. And I spent like sort of two, three weeks in Champneys and this girl Renata was telling me about she was running the, the cryotherapy unit and Shefty Coochie actually had stayed in there he longer. For me. Yeah, that's what I yeah. said. He was a big lad. He should lad. have stayed in there. <laughs> I think he went in there before the games. <laughs> but he was like, he was a big lad, was he? Was he six foot, yeah, three or four? a yeah. flying fin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said to me, "She, Renata said, I said, How's, how, how how long has anyone ever stayed in here for? She goes, oh, Shefty Coochie used to play for 90 Kristen minutes. She <laughs> 90 said, minutes. No, he said he stayed in there for like four minutes or yeah. three and a half minutes at minus 150 or something. Like yeah. that. And I said, I'll beat him before I leave. And she went, you won't, you're too small. He said, he was six foot four, six foot five and he was 14 or 15 stone. I said, you're too small. I said, I'll beat him. Anyway, so in there for two or three weeks and eventually the last day I said, right, we're going up to minus 155, four minutes. Well, I got so badly burnt. I remember thinking it was like, like and I mean, I got burnt, I got burnt everywhere because all you had was a pair of shorts, a pair of wooden clogs and a pair of gloves. (laughs) And I'm thinking, however much you might have just like Chef de at the time when I was coming out of that bloody cryotherapy, you know, I didn't. I didn't, disliked him much I, more. I disliked him even more. So. How long did you do? So I did, I think I did four and a half minutes at minus 155. Oh, I I got so badly, I did two minutes, I felt sick as hell. I a got dog. so badly burnt. And, and it wasn't even beneficial to me. It was just the fact that I wanted, <laughs> uh, I just wanted. Uh, so, so from terms of injuries and all that, I used to, I, I, I liked the challenge of getting myself better i i i do think we'd like to change everything mate. i'm not saying i'm not saying that all healing is in the mind but but it starts there but but i i think you know and 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 god you, you know you see you know we we're very lucky in sport you see people that are affected by sport you know i look at you know just in recent times you know you you look at what happened to, to Doddy weir and you think and rob burrows and i, I look at that kevin sinfield yeah. and, you saved the young boy's life didn't you I, actually a young lad James Bone, got mm. a fall one morning in, in Nicky Henderson's and um, actually it's not something I ever really spoke about but he got a fall and, and, and I, I I was there with four or five others and I seen it happening and, and I and I thought the way he landed that he you see enough of it and you think I actually just thought he was concussed I thought he just knocked himself out and I, I went over to him and I and I said to the uh, the others I'm I'm obviously not a doctor but I said we'll, we'll you know we'll get him on his side till he you know he, he comes around so he he, he I could see that he was breathing, but as he started to come round, I could see his face was getting redder, and he started to his his mouth was kind of only a little bit opened, and he started to panic, and I could hear him going. He was like this, and he and he was like really really struggling, and I and I, and he was getting redder and redder, and his eyes were getting bigger and bigger, and I could see that I, I well I could see there was something wrong with him. I, I cause, and I couldn't believe that that he had a neck in he had neck a neck injury. And, and he just stopped breathing. Just right. literally. And, and and I had this thing in my head that he's obviously swallowed his tongue. And I, I remember, I suppose instinctively, you just think that what what do you do when someone mm. stops breathing? You know what I mean? And and so I got down on my I literally was lying on my front and I got my, and I got Priced my up his mouth. I prized open his yeah. mouth, but his, his jaw had locked. I think you're, when you, when it happens, your jaw locks. Right. I got my fingers into his mouth and eventually got to hold his mouth open. And I said to one of the lads, Please just get his tongue and yeah, pull his tongue pull out. out, pull out as much as you can. And I remember looking at it, thinking there's blood everywhere. And I'm thinking, What is after happening? You know, like he's, there's blood coming out of his mouth. And I was pulling and pulling, pulling. And I said, Just get his tongue and hold it. And after about 30 or 40 seconds, he started to go, <laughs> mm-hmm. Come around again. Anyway, and eventually he came around. After and the next thing I looked, and the blood was from my fingers. He actually had bitten,
1: <laughs> bitten, through, had him, yeah.
0: bitten through my fingers mm-hmm. so bad. And uh, we were very lucky in racing. We have the, the ambulance. The air ambulance comes really quickly to Lambourne where we live. But the fog was really bad that morning. And eventually about 25 minutes later, it's only about 20 minutes from from the Great Western Hospital in Swindon and the ambulance came out. And he had no recollection of anything that had happened. Didn't know mm-hmm. that he'd swallowed his tongue or anything. And, and you know, I, I don't know that. Uh, you know, I don't know that thing about saving someone's life, but you think it's just so a did, rea- it's just a reaction thing, you know what I mean? Well, you did it. I mean, lots and, of people can and, react
1: to things and can't do it, but you're beginning to get on my nerves. You are, and it's not you, something yeah, you save not...
0: people's lives. You're the greatest jockey. No, no, you've got but, a
1: bloody knighthood. Yeah, yeah. Um, but You it, hang it, around with J P. Gomez. Yeah, I mean,
0: you well, do I'm,
1: badly, do you? Yeah,
0: that's the other thing in life. You think you're, you know, you get lucky. As I left school when I was fifteen, Simon, so and and I I think that you're lucky with who you get involved with in life as well. Yeah? and I was very lucky that. That I worked for a man called Jim Bulger who was a brilliant racehorse trainer and, he was, and I think if you had ambition to learn in terms of racing it would have been like going to Man United and yeah. learn Listen after Alex Ferguson, Ferguson yeah. or you know and, and then you come to you come to England and I end up working with Toby Balding who was a very successful trainer from a very successful family a very re- respectable family in racing and then I went to Martin Pipe who was a game changer in terms of horse racing and then you know i had seven and a half years working with him who taught me that sport is all about winning mm. it's not about taking part and it's all about changing The it's all about it's all about doing things that people hadn't done before it's all about moving the goalposts it's all about about you know about setting benchmarks that people can't that people are going to want to the only way they can beat you is by copying you or trying to yeah. copy you or emulate you they can say all the bad things they want about you but they end up copying you to try and beat you and then i end up riding for 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 jp for 10 or 11 years and not because he's obviously a wealthy man, but we, I became good friends, and it was nothing to do with money. Because I, I told him at the time when he wanted to employ me first that his money didn't make me happy. That I wanted to be champion jockey, and he didn't have enough horses, so he got more horses, and and you know, and and I never had a contract with him. I never, I said, look, we decided there be no contract because because you might not like me, and I might not like you, and you can do without me, and hopefully I can do without you. So if it doesn't work out, we'll we'll we'll, we'll walk away, and there won't be anyone. Fallen out or known, even though I had won the champion hurdle for him in the Grand National, it wasn't until because the Gold Cup is the pinnacle in horse racing, and it wasn't until I won the Gold Cup for him that I actually, I actually done what I felt like I'd been employed to do. All those other things were relevant because that wasn't the that, that was wasn't it. the that wasn't the Champions League or the Premier League or the World Cup or whatever. That was winning the Gold Cup, and 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 even though I'd beaten Sir Gordon Richards' record as a jockey, the most winners ever. The, winning the Chatham Gold Cup for, for for J.P. and his wife Noreen was the one day I walked out of race course thinking as Roy Keane would say it's your job as a I've goalkeeper stop the ball yeah I've, I've done, done my, job. my job that's what I that's what I've done
1: A.P. So. McCoy this has been fascinating it's been illuminating okay. with little doubt you are a genius sportsman and thank <laughs> you for being up that. front with me today thank you Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 Plus, please gamble responsibly.